Hello, welcome to the uh, Free Rohingya Coalition um, Genocide Podcast, um, 17th of July at two o'clock in London, where I am, and uh, nine o'clock in Ottawa, where our distinguished um, uh, uh, conversationalist, um, the Honorable David Koger, lives. It's um, nine o'clock in the morning. And so, uh, good morning. Just allow me to introduce you properly to the audience. Um, um, David uh, has been a champion of uh, human rights and democratic causes around the world. He had um, held um, a member of parliament uh, position for 27 year, years at the uh, Canadian Houses of, uh, House of Commons. And also he served uh, as Secretary of State for Latin America and Africa, and then subsequently on um, Asia. Uh, he's very well known for his uh, support and activism for human rights, particularly in cases where uh, there are mass atrocities being committed, whether uh, Darfur in, uh, or like Falun Gong, organ harvesting in China or Burma, and in any place where uh, you know th th there are atrocities, um, you know you will find uh, David raising his voice. He's a member of the uh, Genocide Intervention Network and an uh, um, alumni. Of, of several distinguished um, universities in um, Canada, including the University of Toronto, um, was nominated for Nobel Peace Prize uh, for his work in 2010 and recipient of several um, you know, uh, major human rights awards and uh, honorary doctorates. Um, uh, welcome, David. Uh, it's a great honor that um, you accepted uh, my invitation to share your thoughts on what is going on in China, as well as um, Canada-China relations. Um, you were known to have uh, published this uh, pioneering work on Falun Gong uh, organ harvesting by the Communist Party of China. Can you um, explain to us, um, you know, uh, or take us back to 2005, 2006, um, that, and what is ha happening to Falun Gong? Well, they've been, uh, since at least 2001, probably earlier, but that's when we started looking at what was happening to them. And basically, uh, in, in, in mid-1999, they suddenly became an enemy of, of the Communist Party. Up until then, by the way, Zarni, they, uh, they would even hold, allow them to hold their exercise groups in places like the Chinese consulate in New York City. They were an approved uh, group because they were healthy, they didn't smoke or drink, they did exercises, and the government felt that they were saving money on health costs, so they in fact encouraged them. And, and as I'm sure you know, even by the government's own estimate, there were between 70 and 100 million people across China uh, who were practicing Falun Gong, these gentle exercises they do, and this, this very non-political truth, compassion, forbearance philosophy. So they were of very harmless group, but as I'm sure your, a lot of your listeners know, the, uh, the government turned on them and, and, and wrote, wrote an article, a critical article, and as a result, uh, oh, I guess several thousand of them uh, went and protested around the party headquarters in uh, Tiananmen Square. And uh, they cleaned up all their mess afterwards. They didn't shout, they didn't have signs, they just sat there all day. 
But tragically, the Jiang Zemin, when he came out, saw people from the army, from the academic community, from the party, in the crowd around headquarters of the party complaining. He went back into the uh, into his, his into his home, party home, and basically wrote a letter saying either Falun Gong will win or the party will win. And from that time on until today, there's been a savage inhuman war waged against the Falun Gong community. And never once, to my knowledge, have they ever responded to violence with violence. But as I'm sure you know, they uh, many people know now, they uh, they were thrown in prisons. Uh, about 350 work camps across China. Um, if say, let's say, uh, if you don't mind me using you as an example, you need a new kidney or a new uh, liver, you would pay a broker, perhaps in London, hope not in London, but you'd pay a broker and you'd you'd go to uh, Shanghai, you'd check into a hospital, they would take your blood and tissue type, they would go on the computer and they would go out and find somebody in a camp who was a match for you, and that poor man would be dragged out of his dormitory with 16 other people, in many cases, would be given some potassium, his organs would be removed, his body would be burnt, and the organs would be flown to you in Shanghai, and you'd come home to London with a new kidney or liver, say. That's been going on increasingly in China, and um, uh, the International Coalition to End Organ Abuse in China, which I guess I'm one of the founders, uh, has been fighting very hard to stop that. Anybody listening to us today would like to uh, to join the coalition, simply, uh, I guess the easiest way to do it is just uh, davidkilgore.com and right at the top of, of my website, you'll see a, a link to the International Coalition. We call it ETAC. And we've got people of all backgrounds, walks of life around the world who are trying to get the party state in China to stop killing innocent people. I, I need hardly say that there's no trial, no hearing. A policeman signs a signature, and you're off to one of these work camps for up to three years, where, by the way, they make things like McDonald's toys, Christmas decorations. We've had people who got out these camps who told us this, um, and they work 16 hours a day for no pay. It is simply barbaric, and it's a right. crime. It's a new crime against humanity. If it's not genocide, uh, you know, we could argue about that whether it is or not. Whatever it is, yeah. it's it's a let me let me abominable uh, thing. Right. Let me Sorry. let me just um, stop you there because um, there are a number of major issues that um, um, you raised um, that need to be pursued. You mentioned that Falun Gong stands for um, truth, compassion, and uh, you know uh, the um, uh, yeah. a particular a particular way of life. Yeah? yeah. But but they do that in a system that is built on brutality. You know, obviously, the absence of compassion, uh, the disregard for human lives, and and you know, above all, uh, nationalist lies and delusions that um, yeah. the Chinese Communist Party pumped up. And so, yeah. being truthful in a system built on lies and being compassionate and promoting compassion within the system where human lives, human lives, or human rights mean nothing. You know. That, you know, their existence alone is an affront, it's a challenge, a threat to this kind of system. That is why, although they constitute maybe less than 10% of the entire population of China, they pose a great threat. You know, I mean, as you know, like, you know, 
Havel, um, you know, in, um, the Vaclav Havel um, in the 90s and uh, uh, late 80s, yeah. um, you know, said you, the truth is a powerful weapon uh, in a yeah. system that is built on lies. And that's, you know, that's one thing. The other one is um, um, <clears throat> you, you said the um, organ harvesting is done, it appears, um, on an industrial commercial scale. You know, but that's that's kind of difficult for us in smaller countries like uh, Canada uh, or you know or even like Britain with about sixty million people to imagine. Mm -hmm. But but they've got over one point five billion people, and so there are like you know hundreds of thousands of organs to be harvested. You know that's like a multi-million or billion-dollar business. Absolutely, we estimate that the uh, that the surgeons, the pilots who fly the organs, the uh, the brokers, the nurses, the doctors, are, are probably um, making about seven to eight billion dollars a year out of this oh. rapidly growing commerce. It's a commerce; it's not a medical thing at all. And so, uh, um, it's um, and you're right that that I should have mentioned that 24 hours a day. The, the party-owned media in Ch in China is is grinding out propaganda against the Falun Gong, and one of the things they did, for example, is they pretended that one of them lit herself a fire in Tiananmen Square. Well, it turned out afterwards that that was just a trumped-up pre pretend matter to to bring more bad publicity on them. There, um, there are people from all walks of life. There were actually more Falun Gong practitioners in mid-1999 than there were party members, Communist Party members. So that's a very large group. And as you, I'm sure you know, there are many in Britain and Canada. I think they're in 120 countries now, Falun Gong practitioners. And it's only in China, well, I should say primarily in China, where they're, where they're persecuted. And it's, uh, uh, I'm sure you, many of your listeners would know Falun Gong practitioners. We're having a demonstration um, on Monday uh, for the 20, what, 21st year of the, on the, on the persecution of them. And it's, uh, it's, but the problem, one of the problems we have, well, how do I put this gently, uh, is that way back in 2005, 2006, David Matus and I and Ethan Gutman, who lives in London, by the way, we traveled to about 50 countries. Right. And, um, we talked to people and, we talked to a representative of the World Health Organization, which you'd think would be very concerned about this. Frankly, we got zero help from the World Health Organization. Right. And uh, sad to say, Margaret Chang, I believe her name is, who, who uh, was from Hong Kong and now is in, living in Beijing. I mean, I she, she was the head of the WHO at the time, right? Yes. So needless to say, we got nowhere in trying to bring this to the attention of the World Health Organization. And I regret to say, and, and uh, to me, it's it's an utter tragedy that the World Health Organization wouldn't have taken an interest in this matter. But we, we met some members of it, but we could never get any uh, kind of publicity from them. And another, oh sorry, another group we've had trouble with is the, uh, called the Transplantation Society, which is supposed to regulate on a worldwide basis ethical transplantations. They have been singularly unhelpful to us from, really from day one. And so we've, oops. Oh, what am I doing here? Sorry, have I cut you off? <laughs> no, 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 no. Carry on. It's like you, you come through uh, loud and clear. 
Yeah. Oh, you can, you can, you don't have to see me. I guess you can hear me, can you? I can hear you completely. Yes, it's very, very okay. clear, crystal clear. Okay. Well, well. So we've had our problems. Now there's a, an organization called the Doctors Against Forest Organ Harvesting, that's been extremely helpful, and we've got members of uh, Parliament in Britain. We've got members of Congress in Canada. We've got about six countries now have passed legislation banning uh, banning organ tourism which basically says that if, 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 say, you, to go back to you as an example, go to China for an organ, that's an offense, uh, and you can be, uh, uh, you, you, have to, you have to make reasonable effort to find out where this organ's coming from, and if not, you can be, you can be guilty of an offense. Uh, six, I think six or seven countries now have done this. I'm hoping Canada and Britain will do it soon, but it's still, uh, we've got a very long way to go. There's no doubt the, uh, the business communities in many countries are are uh, always happy to do the the bidding of the of the party state in 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 uh, Beijing. Right. Um, also, I think you know the 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 the, um, the Communist Party uh, PR machine has been successful to uh, um, to a considerable degree outside of China on this issue uh, because they have uh, put painted Falun Gong as this uh, you know cultist. Uh, Kind of quaint organization, um, and 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 I think that the, uh, the Falun Gong um, has had a difficulty attracting uh, popular um, support for their cause because of that. Um, uh, true, the, true. You know yeah. uh, the the falsified image that uh, yeah. China has projected. Um, can I ask you this? Uh, you, when you mentioned um, organ harvesting. Um, you know, I, um, the late Harry Wu, but whom both of us knew, um, yep. was one of the um, early or pioneering um, human rights researchers on this issue, mm -hmm. but not on mm -hmm. Falun Gong. He was interested in the Hogan harvesting that the Chinese authorities were engaged in in uh, labor camps and prisons, right? And yep. I, I understand yep. that you, uh, you both uh, crossed paths. Um, can you? Um, can you shed some light on uh, these like barbaric practices of like harvesting organs from you know criminal convicts? You know, the, I mean, whatever their crimes, they still are humans that they are serving. Uh, you know, they're paying their due behind bars. Well, th that's the interesting thing. Uh, China, in fact, uh, won't tell you how many people they execute every year. And in fact, I'll give you an example because it relates to the Uyghur tragedy that's going on right now too. One of the first cases that we learned about, a, man, a doctor called Enver Toti was uh, in the capital of, of Xinjiang. And he uh, was a young doctor, surgeon, and he was asked to go to an execution field in 1995. So it was well before the Falun Gong started to become victims, victims of conscience. He. Uh, got out to this execution field. He now, by the way, lives in, in London, and he's a wonderful, wonderful man. And he, he got out to the um, execution field, and he, he heard shots being fired, and he was ordered to rush over to one of the, the so-called executed uh, criminals. I'm not, I, I have my doubts. There are 50, I think there are 57 crimes in China for which you can get the capital punishment, but we all know there's no rule of law, there's no fairness in the judicial system. It's just simply an adjunct of the Communist Party. Anyway, this man had been shot in the right-hand side of his chest, uh, 
Dr. Todi told us afterwards. Uh, the reason he was shot in the right hand side of his chest is they wanted to, his heart to be removed from the left hand side un, uninjured. So doc, Dr. Todi removed his heart and other organs and, uh, and felt so badly about it because he was still alive when he, when he did this or when he started to do this that, that Todi uh, gave up being a doctor and, and left China and now, as I say, lives in, lives in Britain. But uh, that was the first uh, case of it in, in, since 1995, and it's it's I'm sure it's I've got we've got many examples in in the Uyghur part of the country, and uh, now of course it goes across right across China uh, to the Falun Gong community and others. I, I we have evidence of Tibetans of Christians that have been killed for their organs. Um, yes, some of the people that are killed for their organs are probably are criminals, but. But nobody wants the organ from a from a convicted murderer, or bank robber, or something, because people worry that the organs wouldn't be healthy. So we've got all kinds of cases in our book and report and our update of our report where people say they want Falun Gong organs, and the, so we've got conversations of doctors saying, "Oh yes, we have Falun Gong prisoners. We can get you a Falun Gong organ," and I'm sure they do. So it's just lie upon deceit upon upon greed, and that and that's what what the system is now and the fact that the uh, transplantation society or, or the world health organization uh, won't take a stand on this uh, is really makes me very uh, very sad yeah well I, I think you know uh, we are in the midst of um, you know basically a, a, you know a process whereby popular consciousness has shifted decidedly against all forms of um, you know the uh, um, predatory commercial or racial exploitation, i.e., yes, like yes. slavery, like human Absolutely. trafficking, right? And uh, well, you know, we we both uh, we came from a different philosophical, ethnic, or national background. We we are both fully uh, supportive of the, this shift in consciousness that is long overdue. Absolutely, and, but, and but, I thank but, you for all you do on this, Zarni. All you write and say about this, I thank you for it so much. You're doing excellent work. Well, uh, you're, you've been uh, one of the um, uh, major inspirations for many of us younger folks. So, so anyway, the, uh, the, what I want to um, bring to your attention is the um, you know, uh, exploitation of human bodies and body parts, including hair. You know, um, I visited uh, the Auschwitz twice and the um, uh, Auschwitz one or the original camp. There were yeah. sacks of... Um, uh, hair from the victim you know as yeah. to, uh, about one ton that was yeah. uh, you know uh, uh, that was captured or that was a, a, a part of the uh, Auschwitz museum uh, or the camp when the Soviet Red Army captured uh, or, and yeah. closed the camps down and recently there were news from the United States that 13 tons of hair the wicks yeah were captured, uh, you know, yep. uh, uh, exported by China. I was just yep. wondering, like you know, in 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 the um, in Auschwitz, one million people, uh, you know, every single head was shaved, and that was how uh, the, the the SS was engaged in um, the commercial activities at the expense of their victims. Now yep. we have you know seventy plus years or seventy five years after the closure of Auschwitz, we are talking about, you know, commercial 
organ harvesting in China, and this like uh, 13 tons. That's just one destination. We don't know where else uh, the wicks have been shipped out of China. You see what I mean? So I'm I'm, I'm just wondering, what is the uh, the pool of humans? How many millions of people? How many millions of heads that would produce? 13 tons of hair. I mean, it's a frightening, frightening, like, a, you know, um, image in my head. 13 tons of hair. I don't see the hair. I see the human hands. What do you say to this, um, you know, a, a most barbaric form of uh, corporate and commercial exploitation? Well, you're absolutely right. And, and th thank you for showing the comparison between Auschwitz and what's happening right now in, Ch in China and to the Uyghur community, for example. I, uh, I've also been to Auschwitz, and like you, it never leaves you. Once everybody should go through uh, through Auschwitz. Uh, incidentally, I, somebody came to Ottawa recently, a couple of years ago, from Auschwitz, and he told us that forty thousand people from Korea had gone through Auschwitz the year before. So I, I wonder how many people from Britain or from the other countries where your uh, listeners are who go and visit. But every human being should go and spend the oh, four no, hours. That, that that should be part of the. Uh you know, high school, um, you know, extracurricular activities. I mean, one visit to Auschwitz will enlighten, you know, it will be equivalent of uh, uh, five years in graduate school studying atrocities. <laughs> I absolutely agree. And what the comparisons, of course, as you know, are, are very, are stunning. Uh, the hair coming from the, from the Uyghur community, pres presumably. I've had, and sure you've seen many examples too. One, one of them that just, uh, that haunts me about about the Uyghur community is a, and I heard her speak. She's now a refugee in the United States, by the way, but she was a, a mother of triplets living in Egypt, and and she uh, went home to visit her parents in in Xinjiang with their triplets. They were about three months old. When she got off the plane, she was immediately taken into captivity. Her children, three children, were taken away from her, and she was tortured. And hideous things happened to her over three or four months. Then they told her that one of her triplets had died. Now, can you imagine? And so, to make a long story short, she finally managed to get out of this unspeakable detention she was in, uh, being tortured and so on. And, and the, to the credit, the Egyptian government put pressure on China and she was allowed to go back to uh, Egypt. And then she, she's now in the States, as I mentioned. But so, well, was, she, sure. was, she, was she reunited with the, the, uh, the two surviving children? Or the yes, I, I should have added that. She was, she was, but she was put back in, in prison again. The two children stayed with her parents. But so I when she left to go to Egypt, she had the children with her, thank goodness. But right. I mean, can you imagine taking a three-year-old <laughs> triplets away from a mother getting off the plane? Oh, no. in, in the, yeah, no, oh, no, no, it I, gets... I, I, I mean, it it it, it would be uh, you know, uh, um, I'm not sure which one is uh, worse, or wh you know whether um, the uh, your organ being taken out or your children taken away from you, you know. And oh, there's another issue I, I should mention on that too is, and I'm sure you're aware of this, that when you get off the air in the airport in Xinjiang, uh, I guess it's Kashgar or, or the capital. There's a line, a special line for people coming from organs, and they've taken photographs of it. You, you, I'm sure you've seen this. There's there's a sign up. I'm sorry to say in Arabic, telling people uh, which way to go for organs. And there's talk about halal organs. I mean, isn't that is that appalling? It, and it that, is. I mean, it, it is just like beyond unthinkable. Yeah, and and so these 
people, the Uyghur community, and I've, I've also heard from the other side of it, that they're all tested now for DNA, and many of them have been blood tested, which of course you need for organ transplants. And one hideous story I heard uh, from an eyewitness who had been in one of these camps, concentration camps, they were all being tested, and she noticed that after the blood test, when she came back, some of the women had, uh, I guess it was yellow scarves on their arms. And guess what? The people with yellow scarves disappeared a few days later. Well, that, you know, that I mean, sounds like, a, a, you know, a straight from the Nazi playbook. Ex exactly. The, yeah, exactly. And, and it's, but, uh, but again, people forget, I'm sure you know this, how many nuclear tests were carried out in, in the East, East Turkestan? That's in the right. 60s and so on. Right. So when the government cares so little about the residents of that region that they're going to drop, I think it was 46 uh, nuclear explosions, and uh, all the people who suffered from from that afterwards from uh, radiation and so on, you you can it does it's a little less surprising to hear what's going on now in uh, in uh, in this these concentration yeah, camps. You, you, David, you, you must be aware that um, the Washington Post <clears throat> editorial board um, uh, printed uh, you know, a, a very powerful editorial last week, I believe, um, uh, you know, essentially <clears throat> you know, making the case that um, um, China is committing a genocide against Uyghur people. And um, you know, that was later followed by um, the, the the U.S. imposition of sanctions against um, you know Communist Party officials believed to be involved in um, uh, commissioning this you know crime. Yes. And yeah. um, um, we're having, by the way, we're having two days of hearings on exactly that issue next week. I'm oh, be will you be testifying as well? Yeah, I'll be one of the witnesses. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to defer to uh, to the uh, the vice president of the uh, International Help for Uyghurs. She, she's a Canadian. She's she's a PhD a scientist. She's going to say what she knows and some of the things she saw when she went home to visit her family. Can you imagine, Zarni, that she went home for a week to see her father who was ill? Uh, they they treated her so badly. The family was so terrified that finally the family said leave. So she had to buy a new ticket and leave before her week was up. And she, she came home and she she's a so she's devastated by what's what's going on to uh yeah i mean like you know I, I, I mean Sorry. this issue came to an to my personal attention when i met um a couple of uyghur uh activists uh, from world uyghur congress um at the uh, human rights council as one of the side events in geneva and you know uh, the the uh, dolken um you know one of the uh, prominent spokespersons for sure. for uh, yeah. this issue um, that he lost his mother in the can, I believe, and uh, you know uh, um, he's been outside the country for the twenty odd years. Um, mm -hmm. The um, also, you know, the um, Ai Weiwei, the uh, the famed um, you know Chinese artist, and now in exile uh, in Cambridge, UK. Has, One of my heroes. One of yes, and yours and too. He I'm has sure. been speaking out. Uh, yeah. against his own country you know like you know it's one thing that you know people like yourself and others uh, speak out because uh, uh, the, you're not chinese and you've got a certain uh, protection and status but i will we as a chinese you know he actually by speaking out that despite his fame like you know he's also uh, putting his own life at risk uh, 
uh, he's dealing with, I mean, we, we are here talking about, um, you know, Communist Party now, uh, no longer a Maoist, uh, but poor communist. I mean, they're, they're among the richest in the world, you know, meaning like they have a long tentacles to reach anyone who criticizes or expose China's uh, atrocities against minorities. Um, what is Canada's um, uh, doing in response to, you know, the, um, these atrocities, uh, atrocities that, that China are, uh, China is reportedly committing and also like detention of um, uh, the Canadian citizens and being used um, or, or using them as uh, chips in the uh, foreign policy, um, um, you know, uh, the, uh, formulations uh, with respect to Ottawa. Is yeah, Canada doing enough? Not nearly enough, but the good news is, is that uh, we got, we went from, the government is, was very pro uh, government of, of Beijing and, um, um, and I have to admit, when I was in the cabinet, I uh, went on a couple of trade missions to China too, and I felt very guilty about it. And since I've been out of politics, I've been trying to my conscience make up to my conscience for what I didn't do, what I should have done when I was in the government. The, the good news is, is that opinion in Canada has completely turned. Uh, we had a nationwide poll uh, even before the, the COVID came along that showed that I think it was 90% of Canadians distrust the government of China. And, uh, and that was before the COVID came. So you can imagine what it must be now. And I think even the, the government, which is not known for standing up to China on anything, including our, the two Michaels in, in, in custody, I think they realize now that public opinion is, is uh, very, very unsympathetic to, to the government on this. And if they don't, uh, they don't change their practices with the government of China, they could, it could be a factor in losing the next election. So I, I, uh, I hope that they're, they're, they're starting to get with public opinion in Canada. And, and Canadians, as, as you probably know, we're, we're full of people from, from countries that were in the Soviet bloc. Uh, we've got people from every corner of the world in Canada now who know what totalitarian governments do. And I would say the vast majority of us have no sympathy for totalitarian governments. And Canadians are saying they want Canada to stand up for human rights, stand up uh, uh, to China on a whole range of human rights issues, including trading issues. So uh, I think there are going to be some big changes. I certainly hope there are going to be some big changes. And these hearings we're having next week on the on the Uyghur situation is a step in the right direction. By the way, two years ago we had a hearing on the Uyghurs too, and they had a lot of very good material came in. And as far as I can see, nothing happened. But this time, what we're going to stress at these hearings is we want Magnitsky. Uh, uh, mm -hmm. Sanctions brought in. We want all kinds of things brought in uh, that are going to stop uh, harming this country out of what some of the people in the business community want to want to do business in China. And it's, uh, I, th I think I I'm delighted to see that Britain is starting to change its uh, get some backbone on this issue as well. Yeah, yeah. So, it just dumped the uh, you know uh, in a radical um, uh, basically reversal of the. Um, uh, of its uh, trade policy towards China, it uh, just uh, the uh, Tory government here just announced um, dropping Huawei on grounds of national security. Yeah? And uh, but you know we we we've got um, I understand you're a progressive um, uh, conservative. <laughs> we've got a Neanderthal conservative government here, and it's a wall away from the type of conservatism that you advocate. Uh, um, 
of the in your way, I'm not I'm not a member of <laughs> just to start so I was a member of the Conservative Party for four elections and the Liberal Party for four elections. Thank you. No, you 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 left. I'm independent now and I can say what I believe and I can, can and and I don't I'm not tied to any party when I say it. I can can say when somebody does something good in one party, I can praise them. And similarly on this issue of China, I, as you well know, I, I take well, a it's, stand. It, it's better to to tow your own conscience and principles than to tow an organization's line. <laughs> yeah, couldn't agree more. Yes. So we're we're uh, I think things are changing very fast in Canada, and I they, st they still have a long way to go. But I think Mr. Trudeau has got the message that his positions up to now are, are unacceptable to the vast majority of uh, right. sensible Canadians. Yeah, I mean, Canada is, you know, since we're on the subject of foreign policy of Canada and how it conducts itself, um, you, I mean, also you were one of the key policy um, um, senior officials and politicians in, in this area, foreign policy. Um, Canada, as you know, is, is, has the image as a good guy. But at times, like you know, the the uh, Canadian foreign foreign policy leaves you um, rather disappointed. Say, for instance, uh, you know, in the case of um, uh, the genocide that's going on in 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 my own country of origin, in Burma, uh, um, yeah. against the Rohingya, uh, there's been a, you know, the, Trudeau has been good on um, basically um, talks, and um, you know, the the Canadian Parliament almost unanimously voted. On the resolution that defined the, um, you know, uh, the the persecution of Rohingyas as a genocide, and that what that means to me is that Trudeau, the the ruling party members themselves, in in other words, Trudeau himself, caused a vote to declare this to uh, you know the the crime against Rohingya to be genocide. But if if yeah. if a government adopts the position, there's got to be like you know. Um, uh, the serious action attempts to mobilize it rather than just simply throw money at the um, uh, at the refugees. You know, absolutely yes. The Rohingya situation is, as we both know, is is dreadful. And and uh, I again, I salute you for all you've been doing on that. I'm, I might your 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 viewers might be interested to know that that after, when on Sansuchi, who's by the way, whose photograph stood in my office for about twenty years, and I assure you, it's not up on the wall now. Uh, and that was it the 91 election right. one of the one of the uh, people who was elected was immediately thrown in jail and his brother defended him and was told he had to leave the country within 24 hours or he'd be in jail and to make a long story short he ended up in our home in Edmonton and he, he lived with us with his family for uh, I guess about uh, two or three years <laughs> he he had rice three times a day yeah yeah so do <laughs> so I. <laughs> I, I, I i couldn't eat rice three times a day once i could do but i couldn't do it three times a day uh -huh. anyway I, he taught me a great deal about uh, about burma and uh, the, the the one way you know the the uh, iron one way and, and the family yeah they yeah were, young way young way yeah so i, Han, I uh, Han. yeah and hard yes of course hard yes so I, I, I learned a great deal about Burma and I completely applaud what you and everybody's doing on, on this. This is just hideous what's, what's happening to the, to the Rohingyas. And I'm glad, by the way, when Aung San Suu Kyi came to Ottawa a few years ago, you, you might laugh at this. Uh, she, I don't think she wanted to meet us. I mean, some of us have worked for 20 years for human rights in Burma. Right, and, right. 
her, I may, may have been her ambassador, but basically we were told to line up outside her hotel mm. and she'd walk by as she went into the hotel. Uh, we were eventually allowed to line up inside the hotel, but we sure didn't get any time to talk to her. And, and uh, mm. I'm, you know, your heart breaks and my, my heart breaks too. Cause no, we all I, have I, such, okay, such like a, you know, many of us were uh, foot soldiers, as Burmese, uh, rooting for her. Uh, exactly. You know, um, and then I think like she, she uh, now like she sees the um, Burmese civil society as just basically a nuisance or an obstacle. You know, I communicate um, uh, very regularly with some of the, uh, my uh, close uh, uh, activist friends and colleagues in on the ground mm -hmm. in Burma. And, yeah. and they're, you know, some of them spend years in jail and she treats, treats them as if they were absolutely nothing. Yeah. And, and also not just that. I mean, you know, she came to um, uh, London School of Economics for a, 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 a public uh, forum. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, people like uh, uh, Jeffrey Nice and, and others, uh, you know, uh, rather sure. dis distinguished uh, um, the legal practitioners and others who admired and supported her. Yeah. She, I, I was on the panel with them uh, and with her and uh, you know she she talked to me like of the, the rather casually for a minute or two and then she a whole, you whole got a whole minute you got a whole minute <laughs> yeah yeah no we no we, we were on the same panel together so she had no choice uh, she, at least like she had to spend one minute with me <laughs> so but um, you know she did not I, she did not even turn around and shake hands or thank you know someone like uh, Jeffrey Nice or Nicola Lacey these are like you know uh, you know the people at the top of their field who wanted to support uh, her attempt to restore rule of law in Burma she did yeah. not even turn around and say thank you uh, you know for your support I mean, like th th this is just absolutely I mean you know mind-boggling mind yeah. So, but, but anyway, um, we, we get a bit sidetracked talking about uh, yeah. Su Chi. But I, I want to return to um, the, um, uh, the Canada's um, um, the recent um, laws at the um, uh, United oh. Nations Security Council. And, um, uh, you know, the, the, we, I, I was personally surprised that Canada was... Um, uh, defeated by um, Ireland and uh, one other country. Nor Norway, Norway, Norway. Norway, yes. Yeah. Because no Norway projects its image as this peacemaker, but Norway mm -hmm. never comes across as sincere because uh, it tries too much, yeah? Um, whereas, in fact, Canada is more down, you know, uh, the down to earth, uh, you know, says what it means. At least that's how uh, the little people on the street, like myself, like see Canada as. Uh, uh, but Norway is, uh, you know, too arrogant of a, a, a peacemaker. You know, the, the uh, couple peacemaking with its uh, pursuit of commercial interest, put it that way. And so why was Canada um, 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 defeated in, in, in that? Well, as you know, in fact, I think I sent it to you. I wrote an article in, in the New Delhi Times about that. And, and uh, as a friend of mine, Kavi, Sharuz said, he's a Harvard educated lawyer, he said Canada made such a bad campaign, we, 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 we didn't even defend our basic principles that you mentioned a minute ago. We didn't, we didn't stand up to China, we didn't stand up to uh, 
Iraq or, or any, any of the areas where we should have stood up for principle. And as a result, we gave up our principles and we lost anyway. So what uh, he concluded, and I agree with him, is that maybe next time we should stand for something and stand for our Canadian values, maybe we'll get elected. Uh, and, and by the way, we did get elected in 2000 uh, to the two-year term, uh, and I was part of the team. But there we went out and we, I think we stood up for what Canada's known for, which you mentioned a minute ago, partly too, and we got elected. But when you, when you haven't even got the backbone to stand up to China on human rights abuses or in a whole bunch of other countries that are doing terrible things, uh, uh, and, and we lost anyway. So it's, it's been a real, a real a black eye for, for, for Canada. And I think a lot of Canadians are really... Uh, Really upset about it. Now you can say that it doesn't mean anything a two-year appointment anyway. And of course, it doesn't. The, the the permanent five, as we all know, especially China and Russia, abuse their vetoes constantly, and uh, so it's a, it's a pretty uh, well. I mean, it's to, to uh, you know, I, I'm 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 a fan of neither China nor um, you know the Putin's Russia, mm -hmm. but. Uh, you know, the, one of the major problems is your next door neighbor, you know, the, 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 the American giant, you know, I mean, like, you know, you've it, noticed, it, you've noticed. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like, you know, okay, yeah, you are being, um, 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 being a good neighbor. So, you know, you didn't bring it up. And so just put it on me. And the, um, you know, the United States was probably the most important architect of the uh, post um, World War II order, yep. uh, put yep. uh, put um, you know uh, mil hundreds of millions, and uh, put intellectual power, put political uh, you know uh, yep. uh, the resources to build yep. this up, and it seems like um, you know the UN, with the exception of the technical agencies, uh, UN has been a repeated and uh, you know a rather devastating failure i mean devastating for people refugees or you know victims of atrocity crimes across the world you were involved in the uh, save darfur um, you know intervene in darfur campaign um has has there been any have have there been any signs that un has learned from its past mistake going all the way to rwanda um, you know uh, and 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 other atrocity cases uh wow that's a big question i i think uh and you're absolutely right the united states is is not performing as a leader in the world today and i'm i think you probably have seen the latest polls all indications are is that mr trump is going to get defeated and i'm convinced that biden and if he gets a good woman uh, a vice president that the United States will get back on course and will, will occupy the leadership role which it's occupied since the Second World War. It's lost a lot of ground under Trump and everybody in the world I think knows that except Mr. Trump. So, so we've got to, um, uh, I mean, withdrawing from the World Health Organization uh, when you're the largest donor as Mr. Trump, the $400 million the United States uh, donates annually, is, is crazy. Yes, the the leadership of the World Health Organization is not adequate, and we've got to get somebody heading the organization that will 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 care about its mandate and wouldn't do the uh, wouldn't do the outrageous things that Mr. Tadros did by uh, basically accepting Xi Jinping's uh, request to hide the pandemic for they say up to four weeks. 
That's right. That's right. It's a university in in Britain uh, came out with a study that said if they had if they had uh, stepped up two or three weeks earlier, they could have saved ninety five percent of the cases. I, I'm sure you're aware of that study. Well, whether that's true or not, hiding it for three four weeks was catastrophic in its implications for Italy, for the United States, for Europe, for Canada, or for the world. Yeah, so I mean, like, yeah, we, we, we are no longer talking about isolated, you know, Maoist China. We're talking about China that sends out, um, you know, hundreds of millions of um, uh, tourists, you know, uh, all over the world. And, uh, you know, Chinese New Year, I believe in January, and, uh, you know, millions of people travel internally within China, and internationally, yeah, and and you know, I wouldn't say that uh, the you know China concocted to uh, to spread this virus. That that may be going too much, uh, too far. But uh, the, you know, by the mere fact that you know the, the Communist Party um, has no regard for uh, facts and truths. You know, I mean, when when you know we started out talking about Falun Gong, that stands for um, you know truth and compassion, and and mm -hmm. um, you know. Uh, this and then, then you've got the antithesis of uh, this Falongon philosophy, which is the the Communist Party that distorts truth uh, and yeah. and realities to fit its agenda. Yeah, just yep. to save its image, and uh, the, you know the, the Communist Party, uh, not the Chinese people, has absolutely yes. We always have to make that difference, as you you yeah. do too. The, we, the people of China have got one of the oldest civilizations in the world, hardworking, brilliant, all of these wonderful things. And they happen to have one of the worst governments, probably the worst government, except for Iran in the face of the earth today. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you know, with, with all the talk of China becoming the number one economy, uh, you, know, after, uh, you know, after the United States and, the, you know, the, the, uh, the rising imperial power, we still have like, you know, the... I mean, like by the Chinese uh, senior officials, uh, uh, their own admissions, China has millions and millions of people. I mean, hundreds of millions of people still in poverty, while yep. the uh, Communist Party elites and their families stash their billions away in New York, Dubai, and other places, and shop at all these like uh, top um, uh, brand shops in uh, you know Paris, London, um, New York, whatever you. And so we, we, we've got a, a, a seriously um, a troubling um, um, phenomena over there, but the impact of China is so huge. Um, the, where do we see, I mean, where do you see the next, say, like, you know, 20 years, um, you know, the, the, uh, you know where, where is our world heading? The pandemic, the, uh, the climate change, um, and, 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 and atrocities, and, and the... Um, Paralysis of the Security Council. Well, yeah, it's, we've certainly got to change, go in another direction, uh, reverse direction, very quickly. And I'm, I'm, uh, maybe I'm naive, but I think Joe Biden and the and a and a Democratic majority Congress, both the Senate and the House, will uh, will be much, much better than the present situation. Then we'll find people like the Canadians and the Europeans and Africans and the Asians. We'll be, we'll be able to work with the United States again, and we can all work on solutions to problems such as some of the ones you've been mentioning, and uh, and we'll have to undo some of the damage that's been done and and try to get things on a very on a better track quickly. By the way, I, I when you were talking about uh, uh, China I, I, about six seven years ago, I was in Hong Kong to speak to a, a demonstration about the Falun Gong situation, and. Uh, 
I know that we noticed that there were hundreds of thousands of people had were had were visiting Hong Kong from the mainland and to shop. And, and one of us asked, well, why did they come over here to Hong Kong to shop? And the answer came back basically this. In Hong Kong, they don't allow shops to sell knockoffs, you know, counterfeit stuff, clothing, right. whatnot. And and in and the mainland, they sell uh, they sell a huge amount of uh, counterfeit goods of all kinds. And of course, they sell a lot of that sort of stuff in Canada and Britain and elsewhere too. But the uh, the uh, and Hong Kong is is a uh, do you do you know how many oh yeah, we have three hundred thousand Canadian citizens living in Hong Kong. I'm not right. sure how many you have something up to three million uh, Hong Kong residents with those those special passports. In, and in, I just in, in UK or no, they're, they're living in Hong Kong, but they in Hong Kong they're, enti they're entitled, I believe, to go back to uh, or go to to Britain uh, under what something announced a couple of weeks ago by your foreign secretary. Right. So, uh, so carry I, on. Uh, well, no, it's just that um, the uh, <sighs> there was a if if Deng Xiaoping had not gone into Tiananmen Square. And the secretary, Zhao, I guess his name was, had been allowed to sympathize with the students there that in those weeks and months. Uh, China would, would be on a completely different direction now. And I, I happen to be an optimist. I'm hoping that after Xi Jinping goes as quickly as possible, that they will realize they've been going down a completely uh, dead-end direction and somebody will arise, maybe even a woman, <laughs> that will, will, will uh, start to do the kinds of things that President uh, uh, Thai is doing in, in Taiwan. So I'm, I'm always hoping and optimistic that China will reverse course and, uh, and join the, the world that believes in, in human dignity. Now, well, I think, I think was, if it, uh, uh, let's hope so, but you, uh, you might be uh, characteristically Canadian here with the um, uh, 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 optimism uh, about China, because uh, my, my view is, um, um, you know, the 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 legacies of um, uh, nationalist, you know, uh, mobilization by the party to whip up the population to you know the, the, to such um, frenzy, um, you know that it's that they although it's the largest uh, country or the most populous uh, mm -hmm. and one of the richest in the world today, um, that China operates um, with the victim mentality. Well, you know, basically us against in the whole world. You know, this is a this is a kind of a dangerous, explosive uh, mental climate where um, you know uh, the powerful victims can turn really nasty towards neighbors and the world. We've seen that in uh, you know in, in in atrocious cases like Nazi Germany. You know, in yep. in every every case of uh, mass atrocities. Uh, you know the perpetrators always see themselves. You know this is the uh, the greatest paradox of all uh, atrocities. Perpetrators see themselves victims. You know, but whether we're talking about a uh, fascist Japan, that you know uh, the uh, the still hold on to the view that they were victimized uh, by the Western imperialist power while they were killing three hundred thousand Chinese in Manchuria and and, yep. and you know other numbers in um, across Southeast Asia. You know. Oh, yes. Uh, the, can I can I ask you um, that, that we are on one hour mark? Uh, one last. Oh question. sure, sure. Um, sure. You know China um, and um, uh, Britain 
signed this Sino-British, you know, the Hong Kong, uh, you know, sovereignty power oh, arrangement yes, in 1997 yes. with yes, uh, yes. Chris Patton as the um, the last uh, viceroy or governor. Yep. And uh, you know, this was uh, for 50 years. China, uh, China had a, China was to had actually in writing agreed to let uh, this one country two systems you yep, know democratic yep. parliamentary system in hong kong yep. and the communist yep. central system in beijing but yep. they you know just after halfway through this you know like 23 years after the the, the signing of the sino-british treaty china completely you know trashed the treaty that means like a, you know the the, the communist leadership is in no mood to respect any any treaties you know that or any agree any agreements any agreements anything they sign they can reverse the day after tomorrow if it becomes inconvenient right and that's why you can't do business with a government like that and that's why i i think you're going to see a big drop in trade with with china from countries like britain and canada in the next while and from the world and the, the hong kong example that you've given shows that uh, Xi Jinping cannot be trusted to respect any engagement he makes with anybody. Well, I mean, he has made himself like chairman for life. You know, the, the same uh, position that uh, Mao held, uh, yep. you know, uh, decades ago. And, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 we've, you've seen this at, uh, with the Russian Duma, I believe like uh, Putin's removed the uh, term limits, right? And so yeah, the, yeah. We, we are looking at the rise of so-called strong men, basically sociopathic um, uh, tyrants. Narcissists, narcissists. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, I think like Donald Trump, you know, if the United States institutions were not um, strong enough to push back, um, uh, Donald Trump would have done the same thing, or he might still pull, you know, some tricks uh, off his sleeve. You know, don't, don't get too excited about Biden yet. You know, the Trump is not going to go, um, you know, uh, easily. Well, I saw this today in the paper, and I guess we got to sign off now, but I saw that Biden is now up in all the swing states by at least 10, 12 percent. And overall, he's up. Uh, he's up. I think it's getting close to 13, 14 percent now. And every day, Mr. Trump does more stupid things. And so I, he seems to be going straight down. And, and uh, I think there's a due day coming to the United States. And uh, I say that as somebody who moved to the United States twice early in my uh, career with a green card. And uh, so I, I have, and I've written a book about Canada and the US. Uh, it's called Uneasy Neighbors. So I, I really have an enormous affection for the people and, and the history of the United States. And we will get, we will survive Donald Trump sooner the better. <laughs> well, let's hope so. Yeah, on that note, um, <laughs> I, I'd like to thank um, uh, uh, thank you, David, for giving uh, me a very generous sum of time here. And uh, thanks so much, and uh, you, you have a wonderful day. Thank you, Zarni. It's been a great pleasure.